Here we go. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the podcast. It is your boy, D-Dove, and this is Bigger Than Life, your podcast that is inspired by none other than the late Nipsey Hussle. I want you to continue to have the courage to pursue your dreams and follow your imagination because it's truth. Question everything you see because the design of this reality is actually not truthful. It is deceitful. The truth is within, and we have a wonderful guest. We're going to do this right this time around because <laughs> we did an interview earlier. And, you know, for some weird reason, the file was deleted. But nothing happens by accident. Everything has its purpose. And as a result of that, my mentor, Mr. Andrew Cologne, who is a licensed respiratory care practitioner who helped establish the neonatal resuscitation program at King Drew Medical Center during its initiation phases, participated in assisting thousands of lives coming into this world as children, providing excellent therapy, not just children, but to babies, adults, and older patients, you name it. My man has done it with the blessing of confidence, composure, and most importantly, compassion. And um, when I entered into the field of respiratory therapy and our job is to make sure that our patients are breathing, we're just going to keep it basic, but we do whatever we can to make sure that they're breathing and, and alive. You can't live unless the lungs are working. Um, I met him at the age of 21 and he immediately began to mentor me in my career. And he just did not mentor me in my career. He mentored me as a young man, as a father, and um, as a soul. Um, so it is my blessing to introduce unto you guys, Mr. Andrew Cologne, my man. Why, thank you very much uh, for that, Dwayne. I appreciate what you said, and uh, listening to everything that you said really is, is quite heavy and uh, all so true. You know, I, I um, look back over the years, and, you know, I'm 57 years old, and I look back, wow, I've been doing this since I was about 20 years old. And uh, like uh, my man over here says, I have contacted and helped with many, many thousands of lives. Although my specialty is uh, with neonatal and pediatric intensive care, and just to give that some perspective, our, our, our uh, duty is uh, to save and resuscitate newborn babies, to follow them through the neonatal intensive care, those tiny babies that you see on TV, the ones that are connected to the ventilators, the ones that are struggling in the delivery rooms, the ones that are struggling just to survive, those are my main clients. Those are the ones that I've cared for for over 30 years. And that's not all. I also work pediatric intensive care. I've worked in level one trauma centers, level one NICUs, level one pediatric ICUs for over 30 years. So we see the worst of the worst. Uh, the things that you see on TV are my daily activities. Um, the uh, deaths that you hear about, the traumas and the traumatic events that you only hear about and cringe at, those things are under my purview and in my hands. Many, uh, many of the uh, tragic stories that you may have heard about in your city, if you live in the Los Angeles area or the South Bay, uh, maybe even maybe even one of your family members has been a patient of mine. We work in the most critical of critical care situations. We work with uh, 
um, patients that range from newborns to the most elderly patients. But one thing I will say is uh, I'm so thankful that I was raised for respect for life, that I respect health and I respect a person's uh, right and desire to live a full and healthy life. So I do my part to make sure that you can get through the worst aspects or the worst moments and the worst times of your life so that you can get back to life or you can have your child back. Wow. Well, and, and that's the one thing that I that resonates with me the most, Andrew, is that you have a profound respect for life and you implanted that passion within my soul you, to have a sense of empathy with all the patients that I deal with. And um, you literally broke me down to tears when it came down to your training because you gave me that respect for the souls that were coming into this world. Um, this is a little side note, but I thought that this would be appropriate and it just hit me literally just now. One of my closest buddies, um, Mr. Cornell Gunther, he now works with uh, WWE NXT, but he used to work for EA Sports. Um, being a producer of video games, just recently had an incident where his son, Mr. Cairo, Cairo Gunther, um, had a very unfortunate experience um, to where there was carelessness um, in the part of Orlando Health, in this hospital, um, where the child was born and did not receive oxygen for eight minutes. Unfortunately, intervention was applied way too late there was some level of incompetency that took place in that transition to where they, they were unable to recognize the compromise the child was in. And it led to the unfortunate um, death of his son. And, and I cry with him and, and his family. But it's an opportunity for us to be reminded as, you know, healthcare workers are responsibility, but most importantly, to bring awareness upon the inequality that take place in our healthcare systems. And with you being that in foundational builder of the neonatal resuscitation program at Martin Luther King, um, what would you like to, 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 what would you like to say in that moment? Cause I mean, it's just absolutely inexcusable eight minutes without oxygen. And unfortunately the, the interventions were too late. What, were, what do you believe were some of the errors in that particular circumstance? Well, as I look back, you know, over, uh, over a lifetime of uh, working in situations very much like that, one of my first experiences occurred when I was uh, working in the emergency room before I began my career as a neonatal therapist. I was a brand new therapist right out of school, and one of my assignments was to the emergency room. And one of the patients that we received on this particular day was a woman who was full-term pregnant and had been assaulted and basically beaten to death by her partner. At this, at this point in my career, I had never been to a delivery and I had never seen a baby born. This was one of the first most traumatic incidences I've ever recovered that really directed me towards working with uh, newborns. This baby was born basically from a deceased mother. He was a large baby and fully developed. Unfortunately, his oxygen supply had been cut off by the uh, demise of his uh, mother. But the physicians at the hospital desperately removed the baby from the mother and we 
started resuscitation. I observed this resuscitation and the infant was able to regain a heart rate and regain respirations. And to really make a long story short, this baby survived from one year before dying, but he lived in a persistent vegetative state with no ability to interact with anyone. He basically was just a body that was surviving. That is when I really understood at a very early point in my career what the lack of oxygen can do. It may not kill you, but it can devastate you. And I always, to this day, carry that object lesson with me. That's why the people that I've trained, including Dwayne, will tell you, I train people hard. I train people so serious. I train from the very fundamental aspect of development all the way through disease process and the importance of resuscitation in the delivery room. I have dedicated my life to serving the underserved. And people may ask, you know, you've been doing this a long time. Why haven't you gone other places? I have. I've worked in very exclusive places. I've worked in the uh, rich hospitals. I've worked in places that have had tremendous amount of resources. But one thing has always been true. Your skill to be able to establish an airway, to know what's happening before it happens, know how to use the tools that are given to you in a resuscitation, which basically is your knowledge and your experience, not only can you save lives, but you can preserve futures. And I've known this for many, many years. And I do understand that in certain underserved communities, there are a lack of highly trained, highly skilled professionals such as myself. Once we achieve a certain level of expertise, we tend to move on and leave behind our communities. This is very deep with me. I consciously, consciously did not do that. I stayed in the community and I worked in these hospitals because I understand that not only is my skill needed, but my skill and my ability to teach people was needed even more. Not only was I needed, but my ability to expand my reach, I saw early on, was critical and crucial. I know people all over this city that know me, that were trained by me, that have saved lives. I know people all over this country that have been trained by me and have saved lives. So in many ways, my legacy in resuscitation that started at MLK, which is where neonatal resuscitation was started, and I was one of the very first individuals to be exposed to the program, it has helped me achieve a sense of self-satisfaction not only in what I've done, but what I've been able to train others to do. And I'm going to tell you, I don't know of another person that has done this, especially in the community, and has literally sacrificed their professional life to serve the community and to serve those people that are going to serve the community. There are people out there like me, but you never get to see us until maybe it's the worst day of your life mm. and we come through for you. Right. Powerful, powerful statement. Powerful, powerful statement. I mean, 
That is very true. Most of the time we'll get our element of expertise and we'll develop to a certain, you know, to a certain criteria of skill to where it's no longer so-called, and I say this in quotation marks, warranted in the underserved communities. But if it weren't for these underserved areas, we wouldn't have chief surgeons. We wouldn't have chief pediatricians. You wouldn't have these, these, these doctors that are capable of experiencing multiple scenarios, scenarios and dealing with them appropriately. The thing about our so-called underserved communities and hospitals, they're the best places for you to get the experience necessary for you to deliver high-quality care. There's an ultimate misconception about our hospital systems that have us looking at our county facilities as if they're not valuable. But we work with them every single day, knowing the treasures that come out of these places, including Killer King, that led to these surgeons unfortunately finding opportunities elsewhere we need to bring that back but i want to personally thank you for having the mind and the, the body and the soul to know that you have a responsibility to mentor others who are up and coming to be the best that they can be in their relative NICUs to prevent the situation that we unfortunately experience to our brother cornell gunther and his fiance and his wife Cairo, who did not have to die that way because of a failure in communication, competency, and respect for life. You know, so thank you so much for implanting that in us and for giving your your service to us in that regard. Thank you. And and to the family that you mentioned, I have seen personally many, many, many times the pain of the loss of a child, the pain of the loss of a newborn, where there's so much hope. Parents have so much hope when they're pregnant, when the wife is expecting. I know I've been there. I have a son and so do you. I feel so much pain for them and I wish them the best but I feel so devastated that something as simple as a skilled individual that knew how to intervene wasn't there at that critical moment. So many times I have to tell you this, I go to so many critical situations where life is on the line and you know what I think? I'm gonna tell you, my, one of my deep thoughts is the good Lord is looking out for you because I, am here. And when I am here, it might sound a little bit self-centered to people that don't know me, but when I am there, everybody calms down. Everybody knows it's going to be okay because Andrew was there. I cannot tell you how many times that I hear this and it is I wouldn't call it a burden. I call it an honor because I'm ready because I know what's on the line. So when I show up, you have decades of experience. You have decades of knowledge that and heart that are ready to intervene to save you or your child. So every situation that I go to, I feel like I've been so directed to be there and this person is going to have the best opportunity. That 
situation that you just described, if someone that has been trained by me that have the right tools available to them, that does not happen. Absolutely. And I could cuss at that because I'm so passionate about that. When I was reading the scenario, I said if they had a little bit of Mr. Cologne's training, if I had, or if they had whoever was working in that facility had the mentorship that I endured to understand the importance and the respect for life, that situation would not have happened. I mean, eight minutes wow. without oxygen. Come on. Absolutely inexcusable. So there's something that needs to be addressed. There's something that needs to change. And, you know, there's something that needs to take place in this country to bring awareness to the standardization of care that is administered to all people, that that we're all, you know, have the right as humans to receive high quality care. The bottom line to me also is that if you're providing a service, especially that type of service where you're delivering newborns, you must understand that even in the most normal of cases, Things can go horribly wrong at the last moment. That is what I do. My job, one of my primary functions is to go to infants that cannot breathe for mechanical reasons or because of developmental or genetic anomaly reasons. I understand that you only have seconds and if you're lucky, minutes to intervene to reverse a situation. If you are in a place where they are delivering babies, you must be able to resuscitate them. Right. Period. Period. I, I believe the members at Orlando, at Orlando Health should really evaluate the criteria of how their program is established and develop a, 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 a respect, a reverence, for life that exceeds just the way we believe it to be an image, but to be, to believe it on on a level that is much higher than what we see on the physical plane. It is a it, the process of birth is something that is always respected, and that's something that you've taught me. It's almost like you're entering into a church when it, the way you execute, the way you prepare, the way you consider um, life coming into the world. And, and you make sure to let me know this is not the time to play. This is not the time to goof around. That when you're here, there's someone who is counting on you to be their intervention, to literally be their guide, to be their angel, to help bring this life into this world. You taught me that responsibility profoundly. But let's talk more about you that got you to this point in your life. Some of the obstacles, some of the struggles that you experienced that prepared you for this mission that you embraced and you gave so willingly back into the community. You know, tell us about some of your compromises. So what are some of the things that 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 we might necessarily view as setbacks that propelled you into this state of, let's say, being that you are now? Well, first of all, I, I come from the, uh, the the community and being at my age, I am kind of like a transitional person in a sense that I saw the community transition at least two or three times. And, you know, when you talk about setbacks, we all have them and challenges, we all have them. You know, um, as I look back, you know, every family has their dynamics and uh, their disturbances and mine was no different. But I was fortunate enough to have both my mom and my dad, 
you know, they would they would have their conflicts, but they found a way to work things out. And I was fortunate to come from a very stable household. But in my neighborhood, as I grew older, there were choices that had to be made. And uh, as I look at those choices, because I did have my own thoughts, I wasn't much on being a follower. I could see that certain things weren't good for me. And I wasn't a follower, so I didn't just follow along. Plus, I think... Uh, my parents would have had would have had my uh, my hide had I had I made bad decisions, and they pretty much let me know that you know you were going to be accountable for the things that you did. So there were certain decisions that I didn't make, although they were there for me to make them. And I'm so fortunate that some of the negative choices I could have made, I did not make them. Now, as I look back. Um, some of my challenges and what really propelled me, I think, in many, many very powerful ways was the fact that as a youngster, I struggled mightily as a, with asthma, mightily. And it wasn't occasional. It was pretty much constant. And my family members, especially my, my older brother, my mom and my dad, they know how much I struggled. And I, I, I suffered many, many years in my early childhood uh, as far far back as I can remember, I don't think I really got stronger until maybe I was 12 or 13 years old, but I never complained. I learned how to take care of myself. And that was one of the things that taught me to read early or got me stimulated to read early so I could really read on what was wrong with me uh, being an asthmatic. Um, being an asthmatic was one of the most character-defining um, elements of my life because when you have asthma, you can't, you really can't breathe and you suffer. And it goes on for a period of sometimes hours, sometimes days, you know, and it's very daunting when you are conscious of every single breath that you're taking and every single breath is with effort. And here you are, an energetic person, but you can barely get up and walk across the room. It's uh, something that teaches you patience. And that was one of the things that really helped me get outside of my own mind and expand to other things that got my mind off of my suffering and off of my um, shortness of breath. But I always have a respect and always had a respect for those that are having trouble breathing. And it's just ironic that the career that I chose is one that I can relieve people that have severe issues with breathing, whether you're a newborn and you're premature and your lungs are underdeveloped, or if you're a 10-year-old or a 5-year-old with severe asthma, or if you're a 35-year-old with uh, pneumonia and uh, uh, you know maybe a penetrating chest injury, or if you're an 80-year-old person with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, I have been trained and educated to deal with all of these scenarios and I give people relief and it's a powerful powerful thing I mean look how everything comes full circle as a result of the suffering that you endured as an asthmatic which I can definitely relate to um, I think that's why our relationship is so strong the way it is because we both know how daunting it is to fight for every single breath um, just hoping that the next one will be better 
but also at the same time knowing that it's sustained, that it's going to be here for a while. Um, that definitely aided in, I witnessed that full, fully in you, that aided in your capacity to remain composed. Because it's almost, when you're in those emergency situations, it's transcendental with you. You go into another zone of, ex, of, of existence, and I see it. it all, it's almost Kobe-like, you know, like how nothing distracts you from the purpose and the intention. That is true. Yeah. That is true. I um, there is a place that I go to where I, uh, I I you know one of the one of the skills that I have, and one of the skills that I try to train is what we call uh, endotracheal intubation, where we put a tube into your windpipe, and we attach you either to a resuscitation bag or to a ventilator, and um, a lot of times people get nervous when they do it because it's such a high pressure, critical um, procedure. So, but I remember telling someone when I'm in that zone, I could be in the middle of a freeway. I could be on a runway. I could be anywhere and nothing will distract me. It's almost as if I go complete tunnel vision until the procedure is completed and done correctly. Nothing distracts me because I understand the importance of these moments. And that is ultimately one of the things that I developed over time, and I think it comes from childhood, that I could focus so strong on something at that moment when the moment was crucial. Man, I mean, it, it's, it's absolutely incredible. It's like you enter a whole new universe of existence when you're in those, those moments. And, and, and speaking about that, you know, you, you, we see what's going on in the world around us and, and you see how we view each other, the misconceptions we have uh, about one another, um, the the false ideas and, and and mentality that we have to believe that only some people are entitled to to a high quality while others are not. Um, as a humanity, right? Because that's something that is very important to me and it's also important to you. And you brought this to my attention, and this is why I'm getting ready to ask this question, because you remind me of this every single day when I talk to you. Um, where do you believe we're, where, where we are in our purest state as we grow? You know, you said something very profound about us um, when we enter into this world, and that's what motivates you to do all you can with your element of career and expertise. Where do you believe our true essence of humanity exists when it comes to our development. And I, I got you guys, you got to hear this response. It's going to be amazing. Wow. That's a very, very powerful question. But ultimately I think we all come from the same source. I think our souls come from the same source because we feel each other so much, even when we don't want to understand the other person. I think, Oftentimes, what people fear is that not so much that the person is different from them, but that the person is the same as them. Mm. Wow. The person is the same as them, but maybe because they look a little different, or maybe because society has put certain concepts in people's minds. Sometimes I hear misconception. I think it's a proconception. I think it's a conception that is intentionally created to create confusion because ultimately when I look at a child, when I look at a newborn, black, 
white, Latino, Asian. It doesn't matter. Mm. They all cry the same. Mm. They all feel the same. They all reach out the same. And my experience is so, so deep. I see life. I see death regularly. Mm. And in many ways, they're one and the same. Mm. They're one and the same. And that's a deep, that's an even deeper conversation. But ultimately, I think the fear that people have is that there's a confusion because on our most pure and deepest level, we know we're all the same. But somehow that conflicts with our societies or our ethnic cultures or our political systems. I think in many ways, the conceptions are there to try to separate out that we are more alike than we are different. That's, see, that's, that's, that's what I'm talking about. Profound. Um, because when you experience life coming into the world and you were, you, you put that puzzle in my mind, like just look at the expression. It's all the same. You know, I told somebody, I told somebody once you could have just shot my mother. Mm. But if your baby was struggling, I would do everything that I could to save him. Wow. Wow. Wow, bro. That's who we are as a humanity. And, and we, we see this time and time again. That's a powerful, just let that sink in. That's a powerful, powerful statement. I mean, that's the statement. Now you see why he's my mentor. That's his commitment to what he does. That's. Oh man. Okay. You know, I, I once I once told my son, I said, you know, I asked him, you know, I would often ask him questions. I said, son, a couple of things. I said, if you could be perfect with you, he says, Yeah, Dad. I was like, he was like, who wouldn't want to be perfect? I said, me. I said, because if you're perfect, there's no challenge. There's nothing to learn. There's nothing to do. You know it all. You've seen it all. You've done it all. I told my son on my last day. My last day on earth, I would have felt like a success if I could say I learned something today. Right. You know? Mm. Right. And that's that's what experience is, people. That's what life is. Stop judging people when they're going through something. It is an opportunity of learning. And not just for them, but for us as well. And I think our, our, our opportunity at this particular point, I don't know if you agree, is for us to understand that we are one people and that we are responsible for each other's well-being. And we need not to continue to evaluate each other as if, you know, we're inferior or superior than somebody to somebody else. And now I'm going to mention the comment that you told me because you, you can elaborate this so beautifully. You said there is a beauty in watching children and this is what made you commit yourself even more to what you do as a NICU which means newborn intensive care um, unit therapist we say NICU and it's just short for that and PICU which is pediatric which means child intensive care unit therapy and this is why you have so much passion and so much love for children and why children come back to you I want you to express the way you feel about children when you see them and Make a comment about humanity as a result of that, because you told me that, and, and yeah, you, you blew me away. That's an excellent, excellent question. I remember something my mom always told me. She goes, Andy, 
never forget where you came from. I was a child once and I had a good childhood and it was fun being a kid. The world was open. There was so much to discover and you didn't dislike anyone. You like people. People were good, at least from my experience. You know, everything was new. Everything was fresh. Everything was exciting, you know, and I remember that part of my life being a kid. So I think as I grew, part of that kid always stayed in me. And part of my energy, I think, is the fact that part of me is still a kid and I can still relate. One thing I notice about kids, now I'm a big, I'm a big black man. I'm about six foot three. I'm about 230 pounds. And, you know, I, I work out. Not to not to say anything. So I'm a big guy. Right. A lot of times what I'll notice, and I'm bigger than most, mm-hmm. a lot of people will see me and they'll sometimes recoil or they might be a little like I might sense that they might feel a little physically intimidated. But I'll, my heart is a heart of gold. Right. And I have to tell you, I would not lift my hand to hurt anyone. I'll try to save you before before I would even say an unkind word to you. But we adults have had experiences and sometimes we have our biases and sometimes we judge people before we know them. And that's the beauty of children. My experience is despite how big I am, the child sees the inside of me. And I see this from newborn babies to little to little two-year-olds. I almost always get a positive response as soon as I walk up, I look them in the eye and I tell them hello. Because my thought to them is, you're somebody and I respect you. I'm here to help you and I'm here to be good to you. And they know this. Whereas an adult, they may not believe it, but the child sees the true you. And I hear people get irritated by children making too much noise or babies crying. My experience is children should make noise. Babies should cry. That's normal. When I hear that, it's reassuring to me because I know they're happy, normal, and healthy. When I work with children, I understand this, that this person is going to grow one day and maybe have a chance to do something really, really great. And I'm here to give you that chance. Wow, man. That's that's exactly the truth. That is exactly 100% the truth. I mean, that's just a beautiful commentary. Because we, I think as adults, we get so complicated and complex. And we just, you know, we get caught up into things that are external of us defining us. And we get caught up in our pursuits. And then we forget about children. And we see the natural element of expression that comes from them. And we see who we are genuinely meant to be as a humanity. But like you said, we get caught up in our programs and our systems, our our egos that help us to believe that we're actually doing something. But when we look at these children and we see them come together and play, it's a beautiful scene. Right. And I'm going to tell you one thing that I, I would tell adults is that you really, really underestimate children. You really, really do. Think of your own kids. See, think, think of the things that you heard from them that you never heard from another human being. I guarantee you every parent can say, you know, my son or daughter said this, and you know, I never heard that before. 
You know, they're actually quite brilliant if you give them the chance. And I understand this about them. And they somehow sense that I understand this about them. I would tell anybody, and I see people from newborns to 105 years old. I see them all. I have such an acute understanding of humanity, its growth and development, because I've been working with it for so many, so many years. If you really want to know what a what a human being is, if I came in from an alien planet and I wanted to know what a human being was and they came to me, I would tell them, find a two-year-old. Mm. You find a two-year-old, you will find the ideal human. Wow. Because a two-year-old has not learned how to inhibit themselves. Mm. We learn to inhibit ourselves. But if you drop off any adult's inhibitions... They become a two-year-old. Man, that's deep. It's like if, if there was an alien civilization to come upon this planet and they say, take me to your leader, we'll take them to a two-year-old. We'll take them to a two-year-old. <laughs> and you'll see the true essence of humanity. Wow. When we get upset, mm-hmm. how we cry. We may not cry tears, but we might complain. Mm-hmm. We might bitch and moan. Mm-hmm. You know, We might throw things. We might break things. We might hit somebody. Right. But that's the two-year-old. But see, we think we're above the two-year-old, but what do we do when we get upset? The same thing. The rage. But in the two-year-old, it's understandable. So never, never, never think you're too big, you're too grown, or you're too much. Because inside of you, that two-year-old is still there. And if you see yourself as a two-year-old, chances are you see yourself as that adult. And why do I say that? Wow. There was this picture my mom sent me, and I vaguely remember this picture, and I actually put it in the book, that there's a picture of me standing on a lawn at two years old. All I had on was a diaper. And I'm standing there with this big smile with my high cheekbones, and I'm waving. That's me. I still wave at people. And I see who I was. It's still there. I was a happy guy. I was a friendly guy. I was a big guy. I was two, but I looked like I was like four or five. But I had a big smile in a diaper waving. Wow. We forget that. We forget that. And then most importantly, you also taught me the responsibility that we have. Um to mentor and to teach young people. And you exhibited that consistently throughout your whole career. Um, And your legacy is beyond words. And matter of fact, I'm thankful that you're writing the book. And I know when we invite you back into this podcast, you're gonna be giving us more details about it. And I can't wait to read it. Can't wait for you guys to read it as well. Um, But when 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 you discuss that expression, of humanity and the importance of us, you know, rebuilding our children, because unfortunately we have a system in place to where children are being born without parents and without that guidance, you know, what, what advice would you give? Like right now, if you were to speak into humanity, if you were to speak to humanity as in the speech, what would you give um, to us as advice in regards to these young people who are coming into this world to, just 
unimaginable circumstances. Wow. That is, uh, that's very deep because I see many of uh, these uh, children and young adults, you know, over the last uh, 30, 40 years, ever since we have had an epidemic of um, drug abuse in, um, in our community, we've had a very high number of uh, children that were born and placed into the foster care system. So many of these poor souls have no guidance, no real love, and they're just basically used for a paycheck. Um, a lot of these children have been destroyed. They commit suicide at very, very high rates because they're hopeless, because they really haven't experienced the beauty of life. They really haven't had someone to care. I would tell them, <clears throat> Your early years, especially your teen years, are tough. They're tough on anyone. But I can only imagine how tough they are, they are on you. Life is a beautiful thing. You will grow and you will mature and things will get better. Try not to blame people because so many times blaming and hating people are at the root of our destruction and self-destruction. Some things are out of our control and you have to let them go. But always remember, you have life, you have something that is beautiful and is to be cherished. Even though there may be times when you don't feel like it, don't give up, don't give up, don't hurt yourself and look for those that are going to be positive and enhance your life. And for those people out there that have the capacity to care for these young people, understand that they have everything stacked against them. And if you help them, you ultimately help yourself and the rest of society. There are many thousands of kids out there that need love and guidance, and they're not hard to find. But if we don't care for them, maybe one day they'll find you and the outcome may not be so good. So society, we tend to throw people away but let's not do that. We should be done throwing people away. Everybody has a value. Amen to that. And wow, that's that's exactly the truth. Um, because we, we dismiss life. We judge those that are less fortunate as if they don't matter. But when things boil over and we see the results of the neglect for disregarding life, as if it doesn't matter, and it comes back full circle, then we want to be, you know, accusatory. And then we want to, to, to blame them instead of identifying the systems that are in place that cause this mechanism to exist in the, in the first place. Exactly. My point exactly. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's like not cutting your, your grass, not cutting your lawn, and then looking out and wondering one day, wow, what happened? We know what's going on here. You know, we know that there are so many broken homes. We know that there are so many kids out in the foster system. We know what, what underemployment, drug abuse, violence, the devastating effect it has had on, um, on our communities across, across the country and literally across the world. Right. Right. Exactly right. I believe it is our responsibility to identify the core issue instead of looking at the superficial. 
and our egos will only have us to pay attention to the surface. But the thing about the ego is it escapes responsibility. And one thing you've always taught me throughout my whole career, you said, no matter what happens, don't blame other people for the things that you have the capacity to do yourself. You know your role as a respiratory therapist. You make sure you know your role inside and out and you execute it at all times. I remember there was a, uh, a situation where I was a therapist and you were there watching me and I went to the side of the bed and, they, and you told me, no, you make sure you're at the head of the bed so you can provide the oxygen and do the things you need to do. You actually told me to get over there. You held me accountable. Yes. So in this, in, in that element of mentorship, you, you grew me to that point. But I think right now we, we need to be reminded in mentorship and responsibility, you know, not just um, for the world, but also for ourselves. So what would you tell, you know, those who are, who are in the mix right now, who is, who are in the maze, what would you tell them in regards to responsibility? How can they empower themselves to, to reconfigure the design that they would like to see? Wow, you bring you bring up a couple of very powerful elements. First is the you know ego. I'm no psychiatrist or psychologist, but I do know, you know, the ego is at the root of so many of our issues. So many of our issues. The fact that we don't want to back down, the fact that we feel like we have something uh, to to protect when we when we really don't. You know, the, the ego loves to be comfortable and in control, but sometimes you're going to be uncomfortable and sometimes you're not going to be in control. And then what do you do? Do you strike out or do you remain calm and compose yourself until you can regain control, until the situation can be turned into your favor or into the favor of your objective? Um, I would tell the, the uh, young people out there to... Learn how to be at peace with yourself and know who you are. There's are so many messages out there trying to tell you who to be and what to be and how to be it, which is so confusing because there's only one you and no one knows you better than you. Although the world will try to tell you that they do, but only you know what's knows what's in there. And it's crazy to me that so many people don't even know who they are. I can see through through actions of uh, irresponsibility. Like I remember very clearly, um, you know, telling you amongst others, you know, when you're in the situation, it is your responsibility to make sure that that airway, that that oxygen is being provided, that uh, ventilation and things are correcting. Only way that you can do it is by being in this position. It doesn't mean that you're moving the doctor out of the way. It doesn't mean that if you stand on the side, you're taking a subservient position, which in a way was almost the case. But ultimately, your responsibility is to make sure that from this particular aspect of the patient care, which is, if not the most critical, definitely the, the one of the most critical is to make sure you can breathe and ventilate, you must be in this position to ensure this. So if anyone questions you, if anyone has an ego problem, which happens, why are you standing at the head of the bed? Because it is my responsibility to make sure that this oxygenation and ventilation is occurring the way it is supposed to. And right now, this is the priority, not someone else's ego. Wow, that's it. Now, a teacher teaches. I can teach you how to establish an airway. I can teach you 
how many times a minute to ventilate. I can teach you how much oxygen is appropriate in this situation and the biofeedback that you can get as you make your adjustments. The one thing I cannot teach you that I have to show you is how you comport yourself, how you carry yourself, and how you defend yourself against others that will see your positive actions as a negative because Ooh. of their ego. Right. Wow, man. Wow. See, that's exactly it. We have misinterpretations because we feel certain things have to come along the lines of how we expect them to be. But most of the time, the, res the resolutions that are presented before us does not come along the lines of which appeases our ego. Matter of fact, is it comfortable to say, and I'll present this to you as a question, that our resolutions may come outside of our expectations? Our, most of the time, our resolutions are those items that make us uncomfortable and challenges us instead of making us uncomfortable. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And I think... That has shaped so much of uh, of my career because I didn't anticipate any of this. Mm. I didn't anticipate neonatal resuscitation. I didn't anticipate being in the NICU. I didn't anticipate being in the PICU. I didn't anticipate these things. These things happened because I had the desire, the capacity, and I was in the right place at the right time with the right people that saw something in me that although I had never been on this path, somebody said something and saw something in Andrew that said, Andrew, I want you. I didn't just walk into the NICU. I didn't just walk into Martin Luther King. I didn't just walk into the PICU. I didn't just wake up one day and say, I know all these things. There was a time when I was a blank slate. But one thing that I look back as a full slate right now was my heart and my desire to help has never, ever, ever changed. My energy has never, ever ever changed. So many people at this time become jaded. I'm not jaded. So many people that have been doing this as long as I have done it have low energy. You know me. What am I going to do today? I'm going to go ride 30 miles. I have high energy. Those things have always been with me as long back as I can remember. Now, being in the situation, I am a competitive person. I played sports. I love athletics. It challenged me. I didn't know these things. I am an intellectual person. I love to read. I love to learn. So I had to learn these things. I was surrounded by great people that knew these things. But I had to be open enough and have the capacity to learn these things. And then I had to have the drive to implement them and work hard. We have a hard job. I worked hard for years. You're a therapist. My usual load for 20 years, we did over a thousand deliveries a month. We had anywhere from 10 to 20 babies on ventilators. I did anywhere from 20 to 60 blood gases. Anything from five to 20 intubations a day. I see death. I see life. 
for years and years and years. This is not academic. This is not somebody standing looking through a window. This is me with my hands on these babies. This is me with a tube sliding it down their windpipes. This is me sitting at their bedsides, agonizing over minute changes on ventilators to optimize mm -hmm. their ventilation, their oxygenation, to minimize the trauma. So many interventions when things go wrong, when ET tubes plug or a chest pops or you get a brand new 24-weeker in the delivery room that you have to go to right now. This went on for years. I have a wealth of experience, a wealth of knowledge, but it hasn't broken me. It hasn't broken me down. And I, sometimes I don't understand it, but I want to give it back because it's going to help others. That's life, baby. That is life well expressed. Um, I want to be the one to personally thank you for your service. And I want to dedicate this episode to Cornell, Cornell Guther and his fiance, and especially to his son, Cairo. Um, things will get better. And there are people out there who genuinely care about life and takes it to heart. And it was a pleasure for you guys to meet my mentor, Andrew Cologne. And this is the legacy that he is actively um, living and he will be uh, will leave behind but it's not over because it becomes then our responsibility to keep it moving forward and please notice that he did not do this for the love of money he did it because it was in his heart to do it yeah i remember going to a function one time it was a christmas function and i was there with my wife and i think i got some award and they asked me to say something you know what i told them i was young but I meant it. I told them, if I could do this job and survive without getting paid, I would do it. Mm. Wow. I would do it. Wow. That's how much I love what I do. Mm. Not only love what I do, but love the fact that I can help teach other people to do it as well. Because I understand that the real power is not in me, but the real power is in you. And mm. you and you and you. Because now I have multiplied myself. I used to say when I was young, I wish I had 10 kids because I wanted to teach them all. Because I love kids. I only had one. God gave me the one son I asked for. My son, Aaron. And I was going to name him Hank Aaron because Hank Aaron was my idol. But I named him Aaron. And God didn't give me 10 kids. God gave me thousands. The people that I train. Sons and daughters. The people that I interact that may not have a father, that may not really see a man like me. You know, you I, I tell you, it's such, that's one of the reasons why I really like working with kids, especially kids in our community, because so many of them don't even see a man like me, right. you know? True. So sometimes when they see me, they're a little bit, oh, who's this guy? But after a while, they understand what's going on. And they really gravitate to me. So I always try to carry myself in such a dignified way that as a professional, but also that I know there are other eyes on me. And I want to set a good example of how a man walks, talks, and carries himself. Well, you've done, definitely done that for me. And I'm blessed to have you in my life. Thank you for being that soul of commitment, 
dedication, purpose, perseverance, all the attributes that describe what it means to be a therapist such as yourself. And not just a respiratory therapist, but a therapist for souls who are needing guidance when, when, they, when they needed it the most. So thank you for being who you are. For those of you who are coming into the podcast, this is the evolutionary process with your boy Dita of what, please understand, this is bigger than life. And it is inspired by the late Nipsey Hussle, but it's inspired by life itself. Just please understand to value your life experience. Don't beat yourself up. And don't let this external world that surrounds you define the value of who you are. Just understand that if you're here, and you saw the sunrise and your feet is planted on the ground and you're standing. You're valuable. You're valuable. And there's no price that can be set upon you. So pursue that that is in your heart and you will find truth just like my man Andrew Cologne did. Thank you for being a lion, brother. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I was born under the sign of the lion and I carry that with pride. Absolutely. Uh, thank you so much. And uh, for those of you who are leaving, we'll just end with this one. Remember to pursue your dreams. Question everything you see. Pursue your imagination, and it must be done through love. Go within your heart. Attach yourself to the real you. Block everything else. And I trust me, best, please believe me, you will have the experience of a lifetime. All right, this is Bigger Than Life. We'll catch you in the next podcast, and we'll see you next time. Peace, everyone.